From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. I went on vacation last week. I've shared in the past, sometimes I just need to escape from reality for a bit. We all do. Especially after this year. But like always, with a few days of vacation remaining, I inevitably start thinking about the next episode of Heritage Explains. What should I do it on? The election? The confirmation hearing of Judge Amy Coney Barrett? Voter fraud? All good options. Then I saw this. Thousands of maskless North Koreans celebrated the 75th anniversary of the country's ruling Workers' Party. Under the cover of darkness, a midnight display of massive military muscle and leading the Pyongyang parade, a huge new weapon. This parade showcased what are thought to be new missiles and transporters, with the star of the show what's claimed to be a newly developed intercontinental ballistic missile. It's a reminder that in spite of denuclearization talks with the US, North Korea has continued to expand its arsenal in recent years. Not the best information to consume while wrapping up a vacation. But wait, it gets worse. I read Reuters broke a story that a senior U.S. official says North Korea and Iran have resumed cooperation on a long-range missile project, including the transfer of critical parts. Again, learning about international bad actors potentially teaming up to grow their respective arsenal is not the best information to consume while on vacation. But much more concerning than my vacation, well, much, much more concerning, is what this means for our national security. Obviously, it's not good. But what should the U.S. response be to all of these developments? What is at stake? And just how big of a deal are these new weapons? North Korea is known for doing very provocative things the first year of a U.S. or South Korean administration. They feel it gives them more leverage. So I would predict that even early next year, we're going to see some fireworks coming from North Korea, regardless of who's elected U.S. president. And that it could be the launch of this new, very large intercontinental ballistic missile. That's our friend Bruce Klinger. He's a senior research fellow in the Asian Studies Center here at the Heritage Foundation. He also spent 20 years focusing on Korea at the CIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency. This week, he explains what's happening with Iran and North Korea, as well as the latest developments with the big parade in Pyongyang. We'll get right into it after this short break. an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. 
Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. Bruce, it's been relatively quiet when it comes to North Korea and Iran. You know, people are focused on the election and COVID. Uh, but I started seeing headlines a couple days ago and just reading some news that North Korea is now teaming up with Iran. And it's it's funny, you know, that that immediately caught my attention in a way that I'm not sure a single story about North Korea or a single story about Iran would have. So just from from the basics, you know, what what are they working on together? Well, as, as you point out, as right now, the, the U.S. is very focused internally, whether it's COVID or, or the election. But that doesn't mean the, the rest of the world stops uh, moving on. And so certainly both North Korea and Iran separately have been continuing to work on their nuclear and, and missile programs and then also together. So it, it's something really that has been going on for decades. Uh, back in the Iran-Iraq War of the 1980s, North Korea was selling a lot of, of missiles to Iran. And then over time, they became sort of a co-developers in missile programs. And originally, it was North Korea was the teacher, Iran was the student, and then Iran became better at their missiles. And actually, Iran put a satellite into orbit before North Korea did. So then it became more of a equal partners. You know, that said, they're still very much indigenous programs, but I think they do assist each other. So it's not just a one-way sale of missiles as in the old days. So, wait, so, so how? So, let me, just let me stop you because how? So, how does this work? Does does Kim Jong Un say, "Hey, get me Iran on the phone. We're gonna we're gonna coordinate this thing," or is this through back channels? Get, give give me a little bit of insight on how that works. Yeah, I think it's very much back channels or or sort of below the wave. So we don't see the North Korean leader. Uh, you know, interacting with the the Iranian leader, or uh, very, we don't see public uh, receptions of Iranians in North Korea, or vice versa. But we have heard, had reporting that Iranian scientists were watching a number of the North Korean missile tests. So I think it's a, a collaborative effort, uh, or at least some assistance going both ways between the two countries. But it's it's kept out of the limelight. Now, is there anything? proactive that the U.S. or our allies should be doing in the face of these reports that are coming out? And again, I believe it was kind of from there wasn't much information about this. It just said that they resumed um, working together kind of a thing. So so what should be our stance at this point? Well, it's, it's certainly it's something that uh, both countries are uh, precluded from doing a number of, of missile or nuclear activities by UN resolutions or US laws, et cetera. So we have to uh, apply sanctions when either of the, those countries or other entities assisting those countries have, have violated either UN resolutions or uh, US laws. So, um, you know, what we've seen recently, and the thing you referred to is a uh, unidentified US official told the press that. Iran and North Korea have resumed cooperation on a long-range missile project, including the transfer of critical parts, and that was all the information that was provided, uh, and that there were uh, sanctions placed on sort of the Iranian end of the pipeline, but not against the North Korean end of the pipeline. So uh, we're not really sure what missile that was. I mean, most worrisome would be if it was the intercontinental ballistic missiles that North Korea has been developing. 
or even a lower range than that would all be of great concern. So the, the U.S. has been pushing sanctions on Iran recently, but really has been holding back on sanctions against North Korean violators during the last two years. Ever since uh, President Trump met with the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in, in Singapore in mid middle of 2018, uh, the U.S. has really unfortunately been pulling its punches on enforcing even our own laws against North Korea. Uh, perhaps it was con the concern that it would undermine the, the diplomacy that was ongoing between the two countries. But, you know, we haven't seen any progress on uh, negotiations with North Korea uh, since Singapore. Uh, President Trump walked out of a, a summit with Kim after uh, Singapore and Hanoi about a year later. Uh, and right now, North Korea is sort of characteristically refusing to have either summit meetings or working level meetings. And yet they're continuing to work on their programs. You know, Bruce, for most of America, you know, parades are, are typically reserved for the local news section in the newspaper. You know, they're not that big of a deal. But then I saw this piece that you posted on Heritage.org, and I'll link to it, on what to expect from North Korea's upcoming parade, you know, almost like it's analysis of a big sporting event. And, and then I see the analysis now that, you know, the parade happened. Um, I saw a headline that said something like North Korea threw a nuke parade to flaunt weapons or South Korea holds emergency meeting after North Korea parade. You know, what is the big deal with this parade that you saw? Well, North Korea on major holidays uh, will have military parades and particularly those that are commemorating a, an anniversary ending in a five or a zero. And in this case, it was the 75th anniversary. Those tend to be the big ones where they really reveal a lot of new weapons. So this one, we knew it was going to be big. And in fact, it was even bigger than we expected. Uh, so they revealed a new intercontinental ballistic missile, uh, as well as the ability to produce the launchers to carry these uh, ICBMs. Uh, and both aspects of that are, are very concerning. They're, they're, they increase the threat to the American homeland. So North Korea already has missiles that can hit all of the continental U United States down to Florida and beyond. So the only reason to have this even larger missile would be to have a, a bigger payload, meaning more warheads. Uh, and by having more warheads on the missile, it is more likely to be able to overcome U.S. ballistic missile defense systems. And then up until now, they've been constrained in how many launchers they had uh, based on importing six very large Chinese trucks, which they converted into these transporters and launchers. Uh, but now, since it looks like they can produce these big vehicles themselves, uh, then they can disperse more uh, intercontinental missiles out into the field, which, again, is a, an ability to perhaps overwhelm U.S. missile defense systems. So well, what, what kind of damage would one of Now, you, we say, you know, these ICBM missiles, they have many warheads in them, meaning they launch and then there's another launch that shoots out several missiles to different targets. Is that correct? Right. Well, right now it's just single warhead on their all their ranges of missiles, including intercontinental. But by having this much larger uh intercontinental ballistic missile. The only reason for having that is so it can carry a heavier payload, which would likely be what could be three or four warheads on this uh, missile instead of just one. Uh, and what that would do is allow more warheads to overcome the, the uh, what we, ha we only have 44 missile defense interceptors. So if they can put out ICBMs with more warheads or more 
uh, missiles out in the field to fire at once, then we may not be able to shoot all of them down. And, and North Korea does have nuclear warheads. We, uh, we saw back in 2016, they exploded what we think is a hydrogen bomb. Now, just for comparison, the, the two bombs that the U.S. dropped on Japan in 1945 were about 15 to 20 kilotons. What North Korea tested was about 200 to 300 kilotons back in 2016. So think of like the Soviet Union, intercontinental missiles with hydrogen bombs, which could take out a U.S. city. An entire U.S. city. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So um, one of the big questions that I immediately had when I started looking at this, what do you think, I mean, kind of put yourself in their shoes. What do you think the State Department or the Pentagon discussions look like after a parade like this? Well, they, they would have likely thought that there would be an ICBM ahead of time. Uh, I mean, all the outside government experts were predicting it, as well as production of these very large transporter uh, launchers. Then we were also expecting some other missile systems that North Korea had tested or uh, launched last year, but they just were paraded for the first time this time. So uh, the Pentagon would look and say, well, there's a lot of very scary stuff that we were expecting. But then something which might seem more mundane, just conventional weapons, uh, is actually uh, of concern to South Korea and as well as U.S. forces stationed there. So. Uh, for the first time in decades, North Korea uh, revealed a new main battle tank. Uh, so no, no longer the 1960s era Soviet tanks that they had imported in the past, but something modern. And, and a, a record number of new weapon systems, uh, more than ever revealed in any previous North Korean parade. So a lot of conventional weapons, uh, tanks, artillery, anti-tank guns, uh, you know, so that what was surprising is even their conventional forces are no longer being neglected. I was thinking back that, you know, President Trump made history when he met face to face with Kim Jong-un. You know, before that, it was always it, it was always, oh, should we meet? Shouldn't we meet? Should we meet? Should we meet? That kind of a thing. And then he went and and they met. Um, and we covered that here on Heritage Explains uh, a couple years ago. So my question to you is, you know, after a couple of years, should the U.S. continue to have a posture like that, meaning we'll meet, we'll just meet? You know, we want to talk, we want to you know work things out. What what do you think about that? Well, I, I'm more of a traditionalist. I'm more in favor of having details uh, worked out on a very extensive, carefully crafted uh, document, which has to be done at the working level. And then once you have the, if not a complete document, of the parameters of one, then you can bring the leaders in to either sign a final document or perhaps to, to break a logjam. So, you know, this top down with very little preparation meeting, it, it tended to be more of a photo op. But for years, people had said, if only the U.S. and North Korean leader would get together in the same room, uh, it would perhaps break logjams because only the North Korean leader can make decisions. So, you know, even though I disagreed with it, we, we tested the hypothesis and, and it didn't it wasn't any more successful than the, the bottom-up approach. So North Korea continues to now refuse to, to meet uh, with U.S. counterparts, but also the, they haven't indicated any willingness to abandon their nuclear missile arsenal. So uh, you know, we can argue about whether it was a good idea to do the summit or not, but it, it unfortunately hasn't been any more successful than the more traditional approach. I saw um, a video of the parade, and I, I tried to pay special attention to how Kim Jong-un looked physically you know, it, it was it was widely reported that 
there might be significant issues with his health uh, a year or so ago. Have you have you heard anything more on this? So at the parade, you know, he's certainly not the the picture of health. He's not going to be a, a poster boy for Planet Fitness or any other health center. Uh, but he he did seem you know robust and lively and energetic. So you know, I think he really was sequestered earlier this year out of concern about COVID rather than because he was you know on death's door. So. Uh, you know, what was interesting in his speech is he was a, he was a good politician and he was very empathetic to the, to the populace. He was even crying when he apologized for not being able to do more to alleviate the, uh, the suffering from some heavy monsoons and floods and, uh, the economic conditions brought on by a shutdown and, uh, economic activity because of COVID. So, uh, he, he played the crowd well, but, uh, his soft message was then followed by a very strong militaristic message. So the, I think the message to the U.S., it was speak softly, but carry a very large nuclear tip stick. All right. So moving forward here, what is the best thing that the U.S. should either continue to do or increase or decrease in terms of our relationship with North Korea? Well, unfortunately, there's no magic solution uh, to, you know, if we find the magic Rubik's Cube combination, North Korea will say, oh, you know, here, here are the nukes. This is what we would have given you years ago if you'd only come up with that. Uh, and there's really not a lot of optimism we can get North Korea to denuclearize, at least under the existing uh, Kim regime. But what we need to do is we can't just throw up our hands and defeat. We need to have a comprehensive, integrated uh, strategy using all the instruments of national power. So too often people get into this false paradigm of diplomacy or pressure. Well, you need both along with uh, military deterrence. So uh, you know, we should always have the door open for diplomacy. Uh, we've had eight failed agreements with North Korea. That doesn't mean we don't try for a ninth, but we learn from the lessons of the past. Uh, we keep our military deterrence. We don't lower the shield as long as the threat is there. Uh, and then on sanctions, although in a way, you know, this administration, like its predecessors, has talked a good game on sanctions, we haven't fully enforced even U.S. law. So uh, since Singapore, the U.S. has been very quiet on going after North Korean violators, even in our own financial system. So we need to step up the game on um, you know, our, our sanctions enforcement and in conjunction with other nations. And we have to go after Chinese violators because China has been turning a blind eye to violations even on their own soil. Bruce, I want to thank you so much for coming back on to Heritage Explains. It's been a while, and um, I think that this is a great update for us and our audience, and um, we really do thank you. Thanks for having me, Tim. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener to Heritage Explains. Bruce's work and other goodies are linked up in the show notes, so if you want to learn more, start clicking. And while you're clicking in the show notes, click the five-star rating button wherever you listen to this podcast. Or if you're on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, feel free to send positive vibes our way as well. Michelle's up next week, and that's exciting because she's awesome. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.